Welcome to Collaboration RA. This podcast is dedicated to our profession, allowing us to share who we are, what we bring to the field of radiology, and how we care for the patients we serve. We look forward to hearing from you. Find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. We appreciate you listening, and we're glad you're here. Now let's collaborate. Welcome to this episode of Collaboration RA. I'm host Marceline Forbus, and of course, I got with me Reese Burgoon. Hello. So today we have a very special guest, a little bit nervous to have these conversations. They're not ones that us as RAs really like to get too involved with, and sometimes we take the conversation a little bit personal, but these are conversations that I think have to kind of happen And they're a conversation that we need to have in the continuum of advocating for the radiologist assistant role. So today we have with us Melody Malite. Melody, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thanks for having me. So to give some of our listeners a little bit of a background, Ms. Malite is currently the president of Revenue Cycle Coding Strategies, who has worked in the medical billing and coding industry for more than three decades. She started off her career by attending Georgia Tech and earned her degree in industrial engineering with a master's in health system. Ms. Malik strives to help women in the industry find success and is an advocate for all of those who are in the medical industry. She is active with the M. Milton Stewart School of Industrial and System Engineering, as well as on the Radiology Business Management Association, which is also known as the RBMA. She also holds a current position as the chairperson of the AHRA's Regulatory Affairs Committee, where she speaks and writes extensively for the AHRA. You may recognize her name through various articles that go over billing guidelines within radiology and also specifically to the RA. We extended an invite for her to come on and visit with us and kind of share about some of the specifics on the profession I'd like to remind all of our listeners that most of what we're going to talk about tonight isn't something that's new to us, but I think that there are conversations that we need to have so that we can get a better understanding of billing as well as what we're advocating for whenever it comes to prior language with MARCA and the future of introducing MARCA. So our goal with this podcast today or this episode is to gain a better understanding and to just openly discuss it. So again, Melody, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and share with our listeners. Absolutely. Especially because I keep up with you guys on LinkedIn and you stay busy. (laughs) And there's definitely a lot going on, especially in the world of radiology, healthcare as a whole, but particularly radiology for sure. Yeah. I know right now the radiologists are seeking some better support legislatively with the recent Medicare cuts. So I know that I submitted my letter stating that there needs to be these halts or these revisions that give our radiologists better reimbursement. Absolutely. Yeah, there's definitely a lot going on. We'll have to see, you know, Congress is recessed at this point in the year, but what they do when they come back at the beginning of the year. But I think everybody, especially for radiology, has been so many cuts over the last 20 years in particular that really there's nothing left to cut. We're into bone at this point. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I get this wrong, but I feel like radiology tends to take a brunt of those cuts, especially as we're looking at the future of it. And I know that they divvy it out a specific way, but I just feel like we keep taking these little 
hits and I don't know why. It's definitely true as CMS and the government want to continue to increase the pay of primary care and internal medicine, which I don't think any of us object to the fact that those particular specialists need to make more money. What we do object to is how they go about doing it and doing it off the backs of radiology and, and specifically interventional in particular, when we think about it, and that, that impacts vascular surgery as well as the interventional radiologists and things like that. Again, it's all radiology, but particular area that's been impacted most recently is the procedures done in the outpatient labs and things that are done in, in the freestanding centers. And that's another reason that there's such a push to try to get that halt and that adjustment where it's just going to continue to have those negative 3%, negative 4% decreases. So I encourage any of our listeners out there that want to support our radiologists. I'm not sure if ACR has a link or if ASRT, but before we air this episode, I will try to find a link so that those of us that want to support our radiologists can, because I think that's a big deal. You know, we got to support each other in everything that we do. Radiology is such a unit. So, okay, Reese, you ready to start us off? Yeah, yeah. Well, I will say I'm going to put a little friendly caveat to this because when Marceline and I were actually preparing for this episode, uh, Marceline was bringing up articles and bringing up uh, different uh, paragraphs and pages and reference material to go over. And I will say this can get very technical very quickly. I found it helpful to actually have it in front of me reading it line by line. And this is an audio-based podcast. And so I understand it may be a little bit difficult for our listeners to stay on the same page, but we're going to do our very best to try to get through the the thick and nitty gritty parts of it so that we can all kind of figure it all out together. So I did want to, to mention that uh, Melody, and, and this is across the board, correct me if I'm wrong, Melody, but she uh, doesn't join us in favor of one side versus the other. And that's across the board in all sides of uh, the healthcare industry. Is that correct, Melody? No, absolutely. And yeah. it's kind of, as, as Marceline said, I mean, everybody supports one another. And I think the position side, the facility side is all very important. And I always many times say it's like a marriage, right? Sometimes it's not as good of a marriage. Sometimes it's a great marriage, but it's very much a marriage. And, and we do need to support <laughs> both sides for sure. Right, right. So however we can help mediate, you know, one side versus the other to show, okay, this is how we're looking at it. And this is how they're looking at it. Being able to get through all those to simplify it, that's going to be a good conversation to have. I also yeah. want to say this is just a conversation between peers. I will put Melody's articles on there for individuals to reference where we're getting this material that we're talking about today. But again, this is just a discussion. This is just to talk about and go over and, you know, how do we move forward? You know, I don't want anyone to think anything's right. changed. It's just a discussion. This is not the gospel according to Collaboration <laughs> RA. It is not. <laughs> okay, so Melody, I think one of the things that I really want to touch on briefly is just some of the confusion that we've kind of had over the billing in the past. And then if you can kind of lead us into 2019's recognition mm -hmm. of the RA. Oh, absolutely. And I guess just to reinforce, as Reese was saying, we're talking about even different sides beyond physician facility. I won't even say it's a counterpoint. There's not a perfect way or a perfect solution of using RAs, not using RAs. We know a lot of states, obviously the majority of states now acknowledge and accept and appreciate, you know, support RAs, RPAs from that standpoint. And I do know a lot of organizations that have it. And I'm speaking of a position not of what individuals can do, but what they can bill for. And I just want to make that important distinction. And whenever I do talk about the billing and coding compliance guidelines, I always start with that. So it's never a commentary on what people 
have been trained to do, what they're skilled to do, what they're able to do. I'm purely just providing the information regarding what's allowed from that standpoint. So go a few years, even pre-COVID, there was definitely a lot of momentum in the industry to get more recognition and more support to be able to bill directly for RA services with that. And the balloon was rising and there was a lot of excitement for it. And then the balloon kind of popped a little bit when the support for MARCA seemed to go away and, and ACR moved to a neutral position. And so that's really, I think, where there seemed to be that shift from an overall standpoint. I mean, one of the things that CMS did do, as you referenced in 2019, was while they did not change their guidelines per se, so if I go pull open one of those exciting Medicare manuals and I read the guidelines around supervision for diagnostic studies specifically, they didn't change it. But what they did was give us that exception to basically say, okay, we acknowledge that as long as it's allowed by a specific state, that RAs can do procedures that are listed as requiring personal supervision under direct supervision. And this is specifically for our diagnostic studies, but that's a pretty good broad listing of things when you think about esophagrams and modified barium swallows and upper GIs and barium enema studies and all of those type of diagnostic studies that freed up a lot of places to be able to do those. And then when you look at the public health emergency coming in and the fact that still radiologists can do direct supervision remotely, as long as there's appropriate audiovisual, that again gives that flexibility to organizations to allow the RAs to do those particular ones. So that's an area that I definitely see a lot of practices using RAs for. I'll say the shortfall with it or the area that still creates some frustration is that when they announced that in 2019, that does not extend to surgical procedures. There's a lot of surgical procedures that we know many RAs do and are allowed to do based on state guidelines like the paras and the thoras and potentially, you know, pick lines and some other things. But technically, from a Medicare standpoint, the exception that they put in place doesn't expand into that. So if somebody is doing those, you can do them. Again, if it's allowed by the state, the organization, those kind of things, but those aren't necessarily a billable service. So I'll stop there because I know I've kind of thrown a lot at you. So let's dissect that a little bit. Yeah. So one of the questions that I had, so I'm looking at Transmittal 251, which is the CMS recognition that we're talking about that happened in 2018 for the 2019 year and so on. By the way, if you guys are following it, the transmittals will have a transmittal number. They'll have the affected date. Some of them will have a summary of changes, which is basically saying, hey, this is what this document's going to provide. Some will provide you some background information as to why these changes are being made. You may have the policy and procedure updates and then kind of the implementation of it. So as I look at the summary changes to that transmittal, it talks about the definition of personal supervision for physicians supervising these diagnostic procedures and allowing it to be under direct supervision. You go under the background. Again, it mentions the, the term physician supervision of diagnostic procedures indicator, general, direct, and personal. Under policy, it says, we are revising our policy to specify that beginning with the dates of service from 1-1-2019 and after, diagnostic procedures that are furnished by the radiologist assistant, which is the RRA or the RPA certified through the ARRT or the CBRPA, can perform those under a physician's supervision, which is direct, which again, state law, scope of practice and regulation. Then it goes on to talk about imaging tests. I looked up the difference between diagnostic procedures and imaging tests, or even what they call diagnostic tests. 
is there a difference between diagnostic procedures and diagnostic imaging tests? Because the one that I saw was a little bit outdated. It was 2005 in chapter nine, where it distinguishes the difference between them. It states that diagnostic procedures are interventional and non-interventional. So I don't know if that's an area that we've kind of explored because it is two separate sentences. And I think that's where some of us get confused. Yeah, and I think it's easy to get confused whether you spend a lot of time in Medicare guidelines or not spend a lot of time in Medicare guidelines. It's the government and they don't always write things as clear as they definitely could. And sometimes they change verbiage along the way. And part of that is because staff turns over and, you know, somebody may not be consistent. What I look at when I look at the guidelines that drove us into 2019 is I look at what they reference to define what procedures are falling under them when you talk about general, direct and personal with it. And it really comes down to if I pull up the RBU file, and even though that's on the physician side, that applies to facility and physician for the supervision piece. And if I pull up in that file and I look at it, I go all the way over to column Z in that Excel file for every single CPT code that is listed, Mm -hmm. which is every code, there's going to be a status indicator in there. And so we're going to look at that and we're going to see either general, direct, personal or concept does not apply. And, you know, when you look at the procedures, you just have to look at every single procedure that someone might be doing in radiology and go look at what that status indicator is. And, you know, through the years since even 2005 and things like that, I mean, we know now we have very few RSNI codes left anymore. Pretty much everything is bundled together. And so while there used to be a separation for some of those things and the historical RSNI codes would have a personal supervision listed to it. So historically, there may have been situations where you could separate those and an argument could be made with today's rules that, gee, that would have applied and an RE could have done that RSNI. Once they moved the combined codes and they became just the surgical code and include imaging, you'll look in the indicator for all of those, say concept does not apply. And what that means is it's going to be billed by the person who actually did the procedure. And since there is an incident too, and since that's not something that can be given to somebody else to do, that's why that particular exception that came into place didn't yield itself over to allow for the billing of those surgical services. So then what has made it gray? Yeah, I think where the gray area comes in, and then again, I'll kind of use your disclaimer at the beginning too. I would say this, I'm going to tell you what the gray areas are, but don't run out and everybody change what your coding is. It's a conversation. (laughs) Um, I think the gray area is, because I've talked to several attorneys about this, is the guidelines that we talked about are for outpatient services, right? And so, Mm -hmm. I mean, freestanding, no argument, super clear cut. If you're in an IDTF, you're in a freestanding center, physician office, boom, you got that. If you're at a hospital, the guidelines for outpatient are defined. But what about inpatient? And and can Mm -hmm. the argument be made that if we are doing those services for an inpatient and the supervision guidelines are different, could a practice bill for that? Now, I would argue that steps into the legal realm. I always recommend that every group have good healthcare regulatory counsel. It's like doctors, right? I mean, doctors are specialized. If I know I have a skin cancer, I don't go to my orthopedist. It's the same concept with our attorneys. And there are attorneys out there that just really specialize in radiology imaging. And there's just a handful of them. And they know the issues kind of backwards and forwards with it. Many of them have published on this as well. I would always want to get their opinion because there may be things related to your state, related to other things that come into play where they would look at it and how the organization is using RAs. And they might say, you know what, we think there is an argument 
to do this for these particular inpatient pieces of it. So to me, that's where some of the, quote, gray area is, is having some of those discussions. Yeah, and I think hospitals do make it different because when you're at outpatient facilities that are not attached to a hospital, you don't go through the credentialing process, right? You're not given a level of supervision. You're not given that credentialing. Do you know how to do these? Have you done so many of them? Yeah, you go through a process. Are you educated? Are you trained? Can you do them? But in the hospital setting, I mean, it's grueling to go Mm -hmm. through the credentialing process. And so I do see where some of that could possibly get confusing, could possibly get gray. And then again, I don't see anywhere where CMS has really laid out diagnostic guidelines in the inpatient setting. And part of it, you know, it really comes down to the physician group, the radiologists who have ultimate responsibility for that. And what do they want the practice to look like? Right. I mean, some places will say we want it to be the same inpatient, outpatient, no matter the payer, those types of things. And other groups will say, well, given our payer mix and given the types of patients that we have, it makes sense to us from a clinical and a business standpoint to have some different processes in place. And, and again, that's something that each group, I think, has to sit down and really look at and analyze and make those kind of decisions. There's ways you can, I mean, get back to the whole thing about, you know, how do you justify or support RAs? As we know, I mean, everything isn't necessarily billable, but is very valuable to the practice. And an organization may say, you know what, we need the RAs doing the paras and thoras and picks or whatever it is. And this is going to free up our interventionalists to focus on higher level procedures. And we're okay with that. It's within their scope of practice. They can do it. We're just not going to be billing for it, but we're going to be billing for more of these higher level procedures. And there's that model as well. And as long as the the group understands it, embraces it, tracks it, ever they want to from that standpoint, there's value in that piece as well. Yeah, I 100% agree with you there. You know, and I think a lot of people fail to see that sometimes, and especially groups that are much smaller. They look at that dollar amount and it kind of freaks them out at first. But once you do see what the RAs can do and how they can help, and sometimes it's not always procedural, there's a lot of different things. So I guess as we kind of look about everything that we just talked about with 2019 and we're looking at CMS, when we look at the support that we need to gain, what would be some of the big key items when we're discussing with like CMS or looking at Marka that people need to understand how we clear this up? What would be the best way to say, okay, this is what gives us our definitions that we're seeking? That's a good question. And, you know, I wish I had an easy answer. I mean, I think CMS always has the opportunity to learn more about what every specialty does first at a high level. I mean, there are a lot of people in CMS that don't even understand what radiology is, much less what interventional radiology is. Then you get into technologists and then the mid-level in between. And so I think some of it is just getting to start with the basics with them to get them to even understand what the value of the position is. So understanding what the education is, why people have taken the extra training that they have, the additional schooling, the additional training, why the number of states. And I think we're at 32, unless you you may know what it may be more than that, but the, the 32 states that have embraced and support RAs, why, you know, what is it those individual states saw the value in and and how it helps to make sure patients get access to care sooner. I mean, one of the things that we have found, and I wear a lot of different hats in the industry. I'm I'm chair of the HRA Regulatory Affairs Committee, and I'm also officially staff on uh, Society of Interventional Radiology and their CPT and RUP process piece of that. And, And one of the things in dealing with CMS with those different hats on is it always comes back about patient care in any way that you can tie things to patient care and to patient access to care and the fact that, you know, there are a lot of places in the country 
that there are not places they can get a lot of these procedures. And, and if we're able to show where having RAs in those states and those locations make it easier, faster, better for patients to get the care that they need, those are the kind of things that they listen to. Yeah. And we actually have two technologists that are going to come on. One of the things that they talked about is they're in a rural community mm-hmm. and they get one day a week that they can have a radiologist on site. They're having to delay many procedures and many patients to only that one day. And then they can only do what they can do until, you know, the next week. And so you're having this constant backlog of patients that can't be seen, but because of the billing guidelines and everything, it kind of prevents us. And just like the example that I know you and I talked about privately is the high volume that we had today that I experienced, you know, with Mm -hmm. 26 patients. You know, but unfortunately, because of the billing, it does restrict some of what I can do, what can be billed for, how can I help them and still tap into every resource that I have. And sometimes that puts a limitation on it, unfortunately. Absolutely. And I think even, you know, the physician shortage that we have, I mean, some practices don't have a physician shortage, but I would argue they are the exceptions. When you talk to most practices and you say, how many of you are actively recruiting for physicians? They're all going to raise their hand. And, and I think the RAs are a great supplement and show as we continue to have this shortage, this is why this is such an essential position with that and helping them to understand that. I mean, I'm very fortunate. You know, I live in Atlanta. I don't have issues with access to care, right? If I need something, I can go to one of many emergency rooms, which would be a conduit into other care immediately. If heaven forbid I need it. Even if it's not an emergency, I know I can get in pretty easily, but also recognize that's not the case throughout the country. And I think for people at CMS and in D.C. and even in Congress, they're probably a little spoiled by that as well because they have easy access to care. And I think it's hard for them to understand that even in some large communities out there, that's not always the situation. Mm-hmm. I, w- I was actually going to ask a question because you mentioned having these conversations with CMS, showing that there is a need. Is that a conversation we as RAs can have or does a radiologist or a board, a group of members or is a hospital administration? Who's having these conversations? Because I get texts daily from other RAs saying, how can I help? How can I make the difference? Does it start with us? Does it start with the technologists or is it all of us? We're all on the same team here. That's a good question. I mean, I think the answer is it depends how you want to go about it. I mean, ASRT has a very strong lobbying effort and advocacy and administrative. And I definitely would lean into that to find out what they're doing. How can you plug into that a little bit more? I know ACR is not doing as much in that particular area right now, but I think it's always important to keep those lines of communication open with all of the specialty societies related to that being ACR, RSNA, SIR, we call it the House of Radiology, right? There's several societies out there from that standpoint, but there's different advocacy too. I know with the RAs, there's been some different administrative areas supporting that. I know at one time, Capital Associates, which is the group that HRA works with, at one time did some work specifically with RAs, but that was even before kind of the markup piece of it. Again, I would find out who's really doing that and plug into it. Getting a conversation with CMS is really about getting to find out who in CMS is responsible for that particular area. It's a very, very, very diverse organization. So they're very segmented. So it's not just, oh, well, here's a name that's on the final rule or here's a name from this. Like I did a lot in the appropriate use criteria world, which is now officially stalled at this point, never to come back, I think. And that's a whole other conversation. But we met with the four individuals from CMS who were responsible for the development of it, the implementation of it, and those types of things. And so there were some things they could tell us, some things they couldn't. 
but we at least knew we were talking to the right people. And so I think finding out who at CMS has been talked to in the past, if anybody, in Congress, if there's certain people that I know have signed on to, and again, I know Mark is a little bit old at this point, but if it's still out there, who are those congressional individuals who have supported it in the past and find out from their legislative aid, kind of what the status is. It's still on their radar. Or are they not have it on the radar anymore? What needs to be done just to keep the momentum going for that? My other question, and I actually emailed you in 2022 when our group was kind of going through some of these billing mm-hmm. questions themselves. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we talked about were LCDs and kind of this IDTF, which is the Independent Testing Center and the Incident 2. And one of the ones that got brought up that I got really in the weeds with was incident two. I don't know if you can touch base on that just briefly so that people can kind of understand the incident two. Yeah, hence, in in short, I'll give you the short answer and then I'll give a little bit longer answer. But the short answer is there's no such thing as incident two for procedures, period. You can't do something on behalf of someone else if it is considered to be a significant or substantive service and anything that we do interventional is a significant and substantial of service. So the concept does not apply. If you get into the longer answer is if you look at all the Medicare guidelines, incident two is a Medicare only concept. A commercial payer could choose to follow it if they do, but generally it's a Medicare only concept where it's designed that a provider who has already established a relationship with a patient now works with an extender to continue an existing relationship to take care of the patient. And, And the best examples of those Orthopedics is like a really great shining example. If you've ever had an orthopedic surgery, you've gone to an orthopedic consult, you meet your orthopedic surgeon, it may be just doing an injection and you come back, or you may have surgery and then you come back. Every other time that you come in, you're meeting with that orthopedic surgeon, typically at the PA. That person's functioning incident too because they didn't come up with a plan. They're not really doing anything significant. They're just doing whatever the orthopedic surgeon laid out for you. And so when we look at the services in radiology, The only situation where we could ever really potentially see incident two is if we've got a freestanding vein clinic, as an example, and patient comes in and our physician evaluates the patient, doesn't jump automatically to, you know, ELVT or, you know, RF, whatever, any of those treatments for the extremities. Instead, they go and they put out a plan and we talk about conservative treatment and compression hose and all that. And they keep coming back for visits and we keep documenting things. That they potentially might see an NP or PA and that might be incident too. But outside of that, again, it just, it doesn't fit. One of the things, and this goes back many, many, many years ago, the programs were really launching and a lot of people were coming into the industry. There was some individuals out there who were sharing some incorrect information about incident two, which I think kind of muddied the waters a little bit. So if you've been out there a while, you can remember somebody saying, hey, it's incident two and we can do that. And, and since that time, that information's not out there anymore and it's been clarified. And everybody kind of got on the same page and everybody got corrected with it. So I get it. I mean, again, if I go back in time, there was definitely some misinformation out there about Incident 2. And that makes sense. And the reason that I bring it up is in the beginning when Reese and I started this podcast and we first talked about MARCA, and granted, this is past language. One of the big things that I was driving home is the fact that we can't be Incident 2. And so what MARCA allows us to do is have a pathway to be able to perform procedures to get that recognition to then be able to have our radiologist bill for physician procedure codes or your surgical codes. Um, would that right. be a pretty accurate statement? Yes. Yes, yeah. it would. Yeah. This is all very new to me in the grand scheme of things and actually getting to sit here and listen to someone who deals with it on a daily basis. And so I'm just sitting here just trying to soak it all in. 
It's a lot. I love it. I love it, love it, love it. But I do not understand all of it. And so I read through it. And man, let me tell you what, CMS is so confusing because you read one thing and you're like, okay, this works. And then you read the next article that they put in there and you're like, okay, it doesn't work. And then you read the next one. You're like, well, maybe now I'm confused. Wow, it's a lot. Even just preparing for this podcast. I was pretty mind blown, but I was really excited to have these conversations just because I don't know how you guys do it as medical and billing specialists. I have no clue. <laughs> keep up with it. Yes, they definitely. Well, it keeps us on our toes for sure. And I think to your point, I mean, there's definitely things will come out or or you look at something new and you always have to make sure you have a sanity check with it. And, and I'm grateful that I get the chance to work with some of the attorneys. We definitely have conversations as things come up, whether it's cases around clients that go and do self-disclosures because they found that they were billing things incorrectly and that so they want to make sure they're doing things right or somebody's taken a different approach on something at a state level and we'll talk about, you know, was it successful, was it not successful? And I think we're always learning. Just like you continue to learn clinically and you continue to get more experience, I would argue it's a little bit the same, not as dangerous on our side, but we're constantly learning and challenging and having discussions around just to make sure we're not missing anything and nothing's left behind, so to speak. Well, I definitely feel left behind. (laughs) And props to our listeners uh, who are still hanging in here with us because a lot of it can be a mouthful and a brain tease. Thanks for hanging in there with us because I'm sitting here just trying to wrap my head around it as well. I know the you wanted me to talk about uh, Marka here, Marceline. It, it has been introduced in previous years and hopefully going to be reintroduced for this next sequence. But based off the past versions of Marka and the language that it uses, what exactly does it mean for the radiologist-led teams? So, you know, again, subject to change, but my understanding of it and the last time I looked at it is really... While right now an RA can get their own NPI number, they can't bill anything. What MARCA does is that it does call out above and beyond the procedures that have already been addressed of, you know, doing something under direct when it requires personal supervision. This would do the expansion, presumably to get into the paras and the thoras and those types of things. As you look at the recognition on a federal level, uh, you know, I don't know what the future of legislation looks like, but in looking at some of the conversations just in the past two years when market was introduced, people felt like it was going to expand our scope of practice. It is going to allow us to do the procedures we're already doing. It's not going to expand us any further than what our current scope of practice allows us to do. The other thing I think that people were saying is that it was going to allow us to interpret examinations, which it was not going to allow us to do. Our current scope of practice and state law prevents us from that. Texas is a perfect example that it says we cannot give a diagnosis. And the other thing was that everybody felt like we were going to get our own NPI and we were going to be billing for the stuff. And at least in past language, it was going to be billed underneath the radiologist. I don't know what the future holds, but I just know that those were a lot of the misnomers that were out there as we looked at just some of the past hardships that we've had. And hopefully we'll get through that hurdle and hopefully sooner rather than later. I mean, gosh, I've been doing this since 2008, you know, as a graduated RA. So I know that we talked about radiologist shortages. And the Association of American Medical Colleges published in their seventh annual analysis of physician supply and radiologist shortages as a whole. And so they're saying they're expecting to see an amount of 35,000 physician spots unfilled by 2034. How can radiology-based extenders assist our imaging departments in these types of circumstances? 
again, that's a good question. And I, and I don't know that it has one answer. I think there's a lot of things out there. I mean, we mentioned earlier that we see a lot of groups use extenders differently. I think when we talk about extenders, obviously we're focused on RAs here, but I think a lot of groups are using NPs and PAs as well. And they do obviously have a different scope. And we see opportunities with them with evaluation and management visits and doing shared visits by doing rounds up on the floor and things like that. And so that's one way that they get relieved there. But I think specifically on the RA side, some of those procedures that we mentioned, doing those and allowing the the radiologist interventionist to do some of the higher level things that no one else can do is definitely one thing. I mean, I've even seen situations where the RAs are doing the informed consents and they're actually participating in scheduling of patients, kind of helping to triage specific procedures, but also which physicians are going to do them. And just some of that, I wouldn't necessarily call it administrative because it requires a special skill set and understanding their physicians, understanding capacity and, and all sorts of other things that almost serve as a, I don't know the right word for it, almost like a, a traffic officer, right? To kind of keep the flow going in a really big practice. There was one hospital that I was at that was a, a very, very large hospital that has a, a very busy, a very large ER and, and actually quite a bit of procedures coming directly from the ER. And it was the RAs that they had. This one particular practice has five RAs. Those RAs are a critical piece of making sure that all the patients are getting what they need at the right time period for that. And so it, sometimes it's not things that always easily fit on a job description for that. But I, I mean, again, I think just continuing, I'll go back to kind of the lobbying thing that even Reese mentioned. It, identifying the states that are not one of the ones that allow the RAs. And when you talk about RAs saying, well, what can I do? If they're in a state that's accepted, that makes it easier. But it may be that they need to work with some of their friends and colleagues in states that don't accept, acknowledge, support RAs and continue to work at that state level and supporting neighboring states or providing information of what you do in your organization and those types of things to support them going at a state level to get some of that passed. So Again, I think RAs provide a lot of value in a lot of different ways. And I think you brought up a good point because you pretty much described my role. I do a <laughs> lot of the triage, you know, what procedures are we doing? Do we have the imaging? So that while my radiologists are doing these higher end cases, such as bleeds and things like traumas, I'm able to kind of sit on the back end, visit with our team. What imaging do we have done? Is this something that my radiologist is more than likely going to be able to come out and say yes to? Do we have all the lab work? Are we going to be able to get that? Can I work right. on while they're doing this procedure? And then, of course, the radiologist always meets the family and the patient pre-procedure. You know, so that brings me to another one, E&M coding. Is that something that RAs can do? No, unfortunately not. And the reason is because really when you look at the definition in the CPT manual as it relates to the E&M piece of it, it is the physician or other qualified healthcare professional. And the AMA's definition of that is an individual that could bill for those services on their own. So only NPs and PAs in our world kind of fit into that category. Now, Melody, let's say I wanted to transition from an RA into a medical biller encoder. Is this something I could do from home? Yeah, absolutely. There's, oh, um, yes. Yeah, there's, there's several <laughs> things that are out there. He's like, I don't want to leave. Um, <laughs> you know, I think there's several things out there. There's a certification, there's an RCC, radiology certified coder, and an RCC IR, radiology certified coder, interventional radiology both through the Radiology Coding Certification Board, which is a not-for-profit organization that just basically administers that certification. And there's some prep books associated with that. And I will say that is something that my company, RCCS, in collaboration with RCCB, put together. And so we actually created the content for it. It gives you kind of the key points of it. But a lot of the stuff you would already know. You already know anatomy. 
Um, you already know terminology. You would just need to learn some of the other pieces. But I would say to people who are technologists, it's easy to step over into that because there is so much you already know about the actual procedures themselves. You just have to learn some of the other things that go along with that, the edits and the CPT guidelines and things like that. But, you know, a clinical person can always become a coding bill and compliance for person. Uh, the reverse doesn't work that way. <laughs> it would be a no, lot harder okay. for somebody to, to go the other way. But I think there's a lot of opportunity for people in hospitals and systems. I mean, I will tell you on my staff, we do a lot of radiology. We also do a lot of radiation oncology. And I have a lot of technologists and radiation therapists who work for me. They just decided they don't want to be in clinical anymore for whatever reason. And they really enjoy using their knowledge, working with our clients and working with those clinical teams without having to do the direct patient care. We have one in our hospital, Reese. I don't know if you know Janet, but Janet yeah. is a nuclear medicine. You know, she was a radiologic technologist and then a nuclear medicine tech. And she still does some of the nuclear medicine, but mm -hmm. she's the hospital's billing and coding for radiology. Which is awesome. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she's got a really good understanding of things, mm -hmm. you know, so it makes it really nice, really smooth, effortless, you know, and putting all the pieces together behind the scenes. She does a great job. Okay. Reese, you got anything else? I'm just soaking it all in. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll have to listen to it a time or two to really yeah. absorb it. For me, there's already been some big takeaways. And I'm very hopeful that we can share some quality information. Like I said, don't take it as gospel. Okay. This is just a friendly conversation. But, you know, these are conversations that need to be had. I think very much so. I think if we're looking at moving forward, one of the things that the RA has been really good at is just kind of sitting back quietly and patiently and, and just don't shake the ground that we're walking on. Don't raise questions. And I think we've gotten to a point where, you know, the ACR is neutral. That support that we had is no longer there or right. it's neutral. And so what we're having to realize is, OK, we've got to step up and start laying the foundation work and we've got to step up and start advocating for ourselves and the importance of what we do. So having conversations like these are conversations that we as RAs have completely tried to avoid, but they're conversations that we absolutely should be a part of. And so I think just getting people comfortable in our uncomfortable and being able to speak about it so that we can move forward because we're just staying stagnant if we don't. So in closing, I guess I would like to remind all of our listeners, like Reese was saying, you know, these are just conversations. But I think that getting, you know, our RT community to understand where the RAs are having probably their biggest difficulty. And I think it's a lot of things that other individuals sway people from becoming RAs is the billing. And so together collectively, if this is something that we want to see viable in radiology and we know the value of it and we know its worth, being able to advocate for it for exactly what it is and to understand that billing is a large component of it that is still being worked out, but having a basic foundation and an understanding as to why, you know, so Melody, thank you so much for coming on and spending the time with us to educate us on it so that as we go to advocate for it in the future, those of us who don't really fully understand it or comprehend it now can have a different level of understanding. I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity to be with you. Really enjoyed it. I know, me too. So I was a little bit nervous. I thought, how is this going to go? <laughs> I'm really happy. All right. Well, if any of our listeners have any questions, we probably cannot answer them. So thank you. <laughs> Be sure to check out our website at www.collaborationra.com. You guys can also find us on LinkedIn. 
you know, we'll try our best to put all of the links and references so you guys can take a look at some of these transmittals that we have and some of the billing guidelines that Miss Melody has put together and so that you guys can take a look at those and kind of see why we had the conversation today, what all of it kind of entails, and then looking at the future of radiology. So just really want to say thank you for everybody for tuning in. Sorry if this was a bit over some of our heads because some of it's probably over mine and I get to listen to it again. So be sure to check out some of our other episodes and we really appreciate you guys and we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Collaboration RA. Remember to find us on our website at www.collaborationra.com. There you'll find our social media accounts. Give us a like and give us a share. We look forward to your support and thank you for tuning in.